Fuck, it's hot. It's really, really hot in here. It's steamy, too, actually, I would say. It's a steamy room. Oh, yes. It's going to get steamier. It's hot in here, too. <laughs> wow. It's just three boys and a microphone in this hot room. Hey, welcome to Story, the podcast where we take one type of media and transform it into another. This week we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to take a pre-existing trilogy and sort of try and reimagine it to rectify what we consider to be the mistakes or possibly shortcomings of the past, and that trilogy is the Star Wars prequels, episodes 1, 2, and 3. So yeah, if you want to count Rogue One in there, we might have a little bonus. <laughs> That's uh, true. To throw back to our pilot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was Force Awakens, buddy. Shit. Yeah. Start again. Fucked it up. Um, so so yeah. where, do we, where do we even begin? <laughs> this community. Well, I mean, I think we kind of set our ground rules. I mean, I would like to, because thinking about this, we decided on this last week, and I've been reacquainting myself with some of the prequel stuff, and I just feel like there's so much media already online where people just shit all over everything like i don't want to do that necessarily we can talk a little bit about the shortcomings but we'll take smaller shits over a longer period of time <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean like there there's also media that already exists that can probably deconstruct what quote-unquote didn't work about the prequels and i am going to point immediately to mr plinkett's reviews the red letter media stuff i love those things yeah more than the movies themselves by far but because they really just talk about they're really good master classes in story and movie and so they take the same amount of time to watch so if you're gonna watch anything just yep. watch those <laughs> yeah yeah i yeah but i mean the the only thing i would say about uh those reviews is that they can definitely be a little nitpicky sometimes in a way that isn't constructed to the larger conversation that i think we want to have in this room but as far as like a really enjoyable breakdown of why those movies work and don't work i totally yeah i agree those are rad so i think we should just for the sake of giving context talk a little bit about our quarrels with mr lucas's prequel trilogy why do they need to exist is the question <laughs> mr lucas's prequel trilogy is a great way to pack it's like mr toad's wild ride yeah it sounds like a children's book and old-timey in a way that is uh but also wrecked for the films, the prequels do kind of feel like a children's story in a way that the, the original movies don't. But in, a, in not a children's story, the original movies feel like a children's story in a good way, where you would tell it to children. Whereas uh, the prequels feel like they were written by children, <laughs> yeah. for the most part. There's not like mass genocide and like a date rapey protagonist in the original. That's true. Or in <laughs> any point. children's stories, and we all know in how general. children love those two things. <laughs> yeah. Well, those those are German stories about cutting off thumbs and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like Dwight Schrute uh, stories from the office. <laughs> exactly. Greg uh, Olfinger or whatever. Uh, it was a terrible German accent. Uh, sorry, Germans. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I think basically what you're getting at, though, Chris, is, is we're going to spend a little bit more time in the, in, the, in the hour speaking about what we would do differently and what things we would sort of expect to have uh, come out of a, a prequel trilogy about Darth Vader rather than um, tear down the trilogy as a whole. The, the trilogy as it exists now in the quote-unquote canon. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of really good stuff that gets touched on in those movies that just isn't as like as much of a focal point as it should be. Um, and I think maybe just stay away from the like quote-unquote deep shitting. <laughs> yes. We should just like find the things that we do really, really like that it touches on and expand upon those things because it's really easy to shit on stuff. And like Chris said earlier, everyone's already done that. Um, so why don't we just dive into, I don't know, the things that we do want to, like, extract from the, the larger sort of mass of those movies. I, like, taking all three movies as one whole story. I think there should be some lightsabers. Get the fuck out. <laughs> uh, probably lightsabers and, uh, Jar Jar Binks, for sure. Like, seven of them. Seven Jar Jar Binkses. Uh, well, the story should revolve around Jar Jar Binks. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think taking him in out of the spotlight in the second and third movies were really the, the biggest shortcoming. Oh, yeah. You know what? I was thinking that too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, what's funny about this dumb conversation is you know that when those movies were like 
just on a whiteboard in someone's room, someone was like, I think we need lightsabers. Like, I think that someone actually said that exact <laughs> line seriously with, a, like, a post-it note that went up on a board that just says lightsabers, like, underlined three times. It, just a, it ended up as a bulletin board that said reminders for George that just that's what he was writing. It's like, okay, George, lightsabers. Jar Jar Binks times seven. What he did was he just he just connected the dots between the cards, uh, well, and that was the script. After seeing Rogue One and The Force Awakens, I feel like that post-it is still on... Like that's one of the. <laughs> they just added more post notes to the same whiteboard from like 1999 or whatever. They just stripped about. all the you know politics and stuff. Well, they just like erased the names and rewrote the new names of the new characters. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of cases, that feels like what they did. So uh, the thing that I, I come back to, in all seriousness, about the movies that really that I found to be interesting and, and sort of the thing that they sort of like don't really focus on that much is just the Obi Wan side of the story, and that's always been. The thing that's interesting to me about the story, like Darth Vader and why he turned bad is definitely interesting, but I've never found it that compelling. And I think that the, like Obi-Wan and his sort of taking on this, this young uh, trainee and sort of failing him in, in that way over the course of three movies is a much more interesting and tragic tale than Anakin's fall to the dark side. And I think that to me, that's the biggest shortcoming is, and we've had discussions in the past, Sean, but Anakin's story doesn't feel right in the yeah. like at all. He doesn't feel like the guy who turned into Darth Vader in those prequels. Like he's just the worst person. That was he's not. He's just such a whiny shit. Like I, I don't mean, cheer for him ever. I, the thing, the thing that always struck. It, it feels like if you just reverse the roles from the original Star Wars and made Luke a uh, Luke character into Obi Wan, who already has the Force and he's trying to train Han. Oh like, yeah, it's a good comp. I mean, Han would be terrible. Yeah, he'd, he'd be a Sith for Miller. sure. He would just, he has, you know, so little self-control and just, but he's so likable and you want, you know, you would, it would be so much easier to, to kind of care if he was falling than, uh, than Anakin as he's written because Anakin as he's written is just sort of like, he's a whiny kid and then he's a whiny adult and then he's a bad guy who kills children. And he also, like the way that Anakin's portrayed in the prequels, he's such a kind of sociopath, like the way that I would imagine Anakin arc to begin is like he's a it's like a Walter White right like he's like he makes one compromise mm-hmm. that just is the one decision that sends him on the wrong path you know like he, it's a smaller thing that then gets piled and piled upon from there but the way that Anakin starts in the prequels is like what is he like murder sand people immediately after finding out his mother's death you know like he, he just didn't like as soon as his descent starts poor Shmi yeah it, it just it's just so like whoa this guy is clearly dangerous. It flips really quickly. We, yeah. I'm not on his side anymore. He's just murdering people. And well, nauseam. it's also tonally weird. I mean, Luke Skywalker kills plenty of stormtroopers uh, over the course of the... But, you know, that, that's out of necessity. He doesn't really kill that many stormtroopers. No, he does, though. Does he? Think about it. Like, he shoots a bunch of them with lasers in the first uh, that's, sorry, blasters. Yeah, I, I guess we, we it's never established in canon if that's a like lethal shot or not. But, but I, let's but assume it, it is. But let's that's what I'm it. saying. Like, the tone of it is wrong. Like, when, when uh, it's like self strikes defense, down right? those, yeah. those, those sand people, I mean, that's what you want out of a Darth Vader beats, but it also sort of, like, just comes in out in a movie that, uh, it's, like, it's like midway through a movie um, that has not had any of that up until that point and it didn't build to it at all just kind of like it's one thing that happens and then he goes and, and does that thing and I mean I think that's probably how they looked at it like they looked at it as if it was like the one thing that sent me down the wrong path um, but but the way that they paint it like I, like when you're talking about Luke he's killing stormtroopers yes but he's doing it while trying to achieve what we've already ac- accepted as a noble mission right well you that's know? what I'm saying yeah. like it's like the stormtroopers are evil uh it's not personal. Yeah, mm, that's a good way to put it. And it can literally goes out of his way to go murder people. Yeah, he like leaves <laughs> his home and goes to a different planet to commit genocide. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's interesting about the the sort of like if you look if you just take a step back and look at the larger story just as a bunch of like bullet points, like uh, a man who joins an order of like ascetic like monks effectively who are sworn to never fall in love, never get married, like basically give up all the comforts of life to join this like monastic order in order to protect the balance of the galaxy. And then he realizes that, oh shit, that's really hard. I'm also a teenager and I have raging hormones and I fall in love with this beautiful woman. 
uh, and I sort of give up those oaths to pursue love and like the whole like idea that Jedi can't find love because that is an emotion and any emotion that any like strong passionate emotion is like the key to the dark side that shit is fascinating because it kind of paints the like the Jedi as kind of shits like I think that's interesting like really you're not allowed to have any of the material joys of life because it's so easy to fall to evil do you know what I mean like that's a really interesting Yes. compelling story just on the bullet point level but the details of it are where it all falls apart for me but I think I'm in, I think I think we're on two different sides of the same coin because it's the 20th century and we've seen like the and I don't mean to offend even though I'm definitely going to if anybody listens to this but you know you, you've seen what happens to people when you limit their ability to act on instinct and impulse mm-hmm. and I was thinking the exact opposite it's like why did Jedi have to be that way why did like it's never established that way in the original trilogy and all of a sudden we're like turning them into these religious like quote unquote like pious like beings of purity and they're humans and that's what makes being being human is what makes a character interesting and like I don't know just I don't feel like you have to I, I never said it never gelled right with me why the Jedi are like that. So I that's kind of what I was saying too. Like to, to get back to your point, like yeah, that's fucking weird. Like why? Like yeah, I agree. Like that's a bizarre thing for like the quote unquote good guys. Like all throughout the original trilogy, you don't you don't question it. It's the good guys and the bad guys, good and evil, light and dark. That's like so straightforward binary. That's it. But the prequels going into like. Yeah, it's not quite so like black and white is interesting because I agree with you. Like it's fucked up that you would have to give up so much of your, what makes you human to wield this kind of power. Well, I think, but that's part of the reason that it doesn't work. Uh, the, the prequels for me, because like pr- the, the original films are very starkly uh, black and white. And I think that is to their benefit in their simplicity. I don't know the moral gray area belongs in a star Wars hmm. thing. Uh, you, you know, I mean, it does, but in the way that Empire handles it, where, you know, will you sacrifice your friends at the expense of your training, um, you know, as a Jedi, like, to the greater good. Um, but that ends up turning out to be when Luke leaves Dagobah and goes off to kind of help Han and Leia, it's, it's, a, it's actually, it's rash, but it's also what he needed to do in order to, like, he had to face Vader, which they set up on the planet where, you know, he kind of cuts Vader's head off and you know that whole weird thing is like he's like he's like fighting himself right. like it's very symbolic and weird and I don't think that like but it's it's not um, it, it, we're not we're not dealing with larger questions like nobody's talking about it right like it's still like very clearly like he's here to train become a Jedi so he can fight evil you know it's still like I don't know. It is like a weird Venn diagram of like how much gray you can sustain in a Star Wars thing without it losing its tonal uh, like lightness. You know, I think it's really light, and that's we that's what the prequels got bogged down in in a lot of cases. In my opinion, is is just like there's just so much heavy shit. There's politics. There's yeah, the, fucking, the, the, the Senate uh, Senate committee bullshit and like yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's, there's so much so many adult sort of things in there, and, and the original trilogy is owed a lot to the sort of older stories which are still told uh, the Odyssey and, and just myths um, and they're sort of in t- like you know basically George Lucas read a book uh, by Joseph Campbell and just kind of mapped everything into there uh, from it and um, that you know there's a reason that it feels mythic and why it keeps getting diluted is because none of the new ones do you know they don't have that and I think that's what you were just talking about is the original trilogy, it is so black and white, at least at first, and that, and then the gray areas, as soon as that sort of complication and compromise comes into the picture, there are simple gray areas that complicate the already black and white base coat. Right. That makes sense, foundation, because you're so, you're set up, it's, so, it's set up in the first shot of the first trilogy, the rebels are the good guys, the empire is the bad guys. You know what I mean? It's so simple, and like, you're, you buy into it immediately, and you're on board, and you can just feel the bullying of the Empire, and you're just on the rebel side. And that way, and then when the complications come, and the characters evolve, you know, it's they're com- they're still on the right side, quote unquote. But those complications feel even more complex and hard to navigate because it seems like things are so simple. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then the way that the prequels are set up, it's like, 
off the gate, you have this Jedi Order who just clearly nobody in it is happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, like, so it's like, then why the fuck are we following them and why do we care about them? It's like, I, I, are they the good guys? Do you know what I mean? They're just castigating like everybody who's involved. Well, it's only it's like thirty years before the original movies, and like it's so structured and so like endemic to the society that exists that it feels like like how on earth in thirty years did that just like flip on his head? Yeah. yeah, but it's like it felt like when they were talking about the Jedi Order in the original films, like they even say like ancient religions. Ancient religions. Yeah. Nobody talks about a religion it's as if it's ancient from 30 years ago. <laughs> you know? Like, this is... It's absurd that, uh, you know, anybody could look at a force wielder and... Like, the, the whole idea is that nobody believes in it. You know? Like, Han sets that up very clearly. Luke doesn't even believe in it, really. You know? Like... And he has all the reason in the world to. Uh, well, at least, you know, sort of midway through. But, like, Yoda's... 900 years old for a reason, you know? He's 900 years old because he was there back when people were practicing this shit and it's fallen out of favor, you know? That's what it feels like from the original trilogy. And then all of a sudden you come in and they're like on the seat of government and they're, you know, there's like a million of them. It's like, there's a million Jedi! Yeah. It doesn't... When they were talking about hunting down the Jedi in the first, you know, trilogy, it was... It felt like the last people who might in the galaxy be able to oppose them. Not a million people, you yeah, know, that they 30 years ago. throughout, like, what is it, Order 656 or six, whatever? Six. Is it? 666 would be a little too on the nose, <laughs> so just like, cut one of those numbers off, just yeah. chef's kiss, Mwah. perfect. Yeah, well, that, and, and something I was thinking about in the first trilogy, the original, 4, 5, and 6, like, they, the Jedi are spoken about, and there's such this aura of legend, yeah. do you know what I mean? And what's weird is, in any sort of cultural landscape, you think of legend and things are extremified. Do you know what I mean? But they're extremified in sort of the examining of the history. Mm. And it's, if there's any truth to it, we all know that there's people at the heart of that story. Right. And we've seen movies in which we investigate historical sort of legends that are like before the time of the internet in our own world that kind of examine the actual people and show their faults, illuminate their faults, but show how they acted in a certain way that makes, that they they made certain decisions that were good, and and what would create legend, if that makes sense, like what would instill hope, that despite all their faults, they were able to do that, but it kind of, like the way that they paint the Jedi does the exact opposite of that. It's like, these are, you're taking it, like, we're telling you that these are these infallible people, and then we're breaking it down. Like, it just feels like it does the exact opposite, like, the exact opposite of what actual legend and the illumination of a legend should do. Well, it, it makes them very common, right? To your point, Sean, that, like, there's millions of them. There's millions of them. I don't gen- know how many there are. Sure, okay. I mean, but it's but implied there are. There's, but, like, many. there's that one scene in, in, like, the the pit fight scene where there's just, like, a billion lightsaber lights just going fucking crazy, yeah. killing off, like, it, because it was just, like, someone, again, like, on a whiteboard said, like, lightsabers and underlined it three times, right. and then they were like, what if we had a robot with six arms and each one had a lightsaber and he could <laughs> spin around, like, you know what I mean? Like, right, they just yeah. wanted to, like, escalate the Jedi and the light. Like, somebody very clearly wrote all the cool shit about Star Wars, and, like, and Jedi was up there, and they just fucking circled that a hundred times, and went like, "That's what Star Wars is now. It's just that." Right. Uh, and to be fair, that the the original trilogy does focus very heavily on them through the lens of Luke sort of rediscovering this ancient religion. But the fact that this, the prequels just focus on them as this crazy superhero squad of just like hundreds of uh, or thousands of people with late laser swords of all varying colors that can just cut people down, like. They just made it a superhero movie for kids in that way that destroys the mystery and the, Chris, to your point, the like legendary status of these people. And the other thing that's interesting about it is if it is a legend, like those stories are, as you said, exaggerated over time. But really, in this trilogy or the prequel trilogy, they're not exaggerated at all. It's literally just a historical telling of like, and then they use the crazy mind powers and lightning shot out of their hands. <laughs> like, no, no, that really happened. It's not like a weird <laughs> allegory for like some you know okay. human trial. It's like that's literally a thing that happened. That's why that you know in the first trilogy, because they set it up as being sort of out of favor uh, and the people don't believe in it. When you 
get to the scene where Yoda raises up the X-Wing out of the bog and that brilliant John Williams music is, is you know, the soaring score goes up, you feel that. Yeah. Because Luke is awed. You know, he he doesn't believe that it's possible. And then Yoda shows them that it is. And the reason he doesn't believe it is possible is because it wasn't, you know, t- two years before he was born that they were all killed. Yeah. That everybody in the galaxy would know about. I was going to say, like, Luke is in his 20s, right? I don't know. Or, it's like, he's a teenager. Yeah, teens, okay. But, but, like, there would still be people alive who remember a shit ton of Jedi out there. It's weird that, like, people are like, no way. There's no... People lifting things out of the bot bullshit. No way. No, mind powers? Come on. And then it's like, no, no, I was... That was 30 years ago. That literally happened the other day. Like, when you could make an argument that, like, his uncle was just trying to shield him from all that because he knew what trouble it was, but then the people on the Death Star don't even believe in Darth Vader's powers, and he's, like, choking them. Yeah. Like, it's that ingrained in their society that they don't, they don't believe in the secular, Force. yeah. Like, he says the exact same... Like, the, the guy that gets choked on the Death Star is, like... Sad adherence to that ancient religion, whatever. Yeah, yeah. He, he literally just basically calls him out and gets fucking choked. And then he, when he gets choked, no, everybody's like, "Okay, this is fucking weird." Nobody talks about it. Yeah. It gets awkward. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like awkward. They just don't. I mean, it, it just becomes such a bizarre uh, statement to make that you know, even a few years before that. Know, we've said that a million times now, but yeah. Well, I mean, we're about twenty minutes in now, and it's we could sit here and deconstruct Star Wars yeah, yeah, as yeah. long as possible. But I think, I think what we should do next, and, and, and we've done this outside of this episode, but is kind of really identify what makes Star Wars Star Wars, and what makes it feel like that for us. Lightsabers, yeah, <laughs> lightsabers, ATAs, established. Uh, you know, the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> you need this thing. See the Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anakin needs to have built the Millennium Falcon in our version. Right. Can, there, can, can there be a trash compactor? That'd be good. <laughs> so let me. I, I I wrote down something I was singing earlier, which is that um, I think we should start from the original trilogy is sort of about uh, it becomes it anyway by the time Jedi comes around about the sins of the father and you know the son not repeating them, right? Uh, you know, it feels very much like Anakin, uh, what, and Luke had very similar paths to me. Um, in that Luke chose a different path than Anakin did, which is why he's redeemed, why Anakin is redeemed. You know, he he sees literally in front of his face, his son put the lightsaber down and throw it and realizes that's what he could have done years ago and throws the emperor down a pit. Um, so starting from a place where Anakin is, like they say in the, tril- the first trilogy, you know, just a great pilot, probably in the Empire before it was the Empire's, you know, ar- uh, uh, Navy or whatever, Navy, uh, Air Force. It, 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 it's it's probably space. Navy. Everything space-related is always about ships and it's, stuff. It's probably Navy. It's, admirals. it's the Space Force, Sean. It's not the Air Force. Space Force. Sorry, the uh, Zero-G Force. Ooh, good one. Um, but yeah, I mean... You know, I feel like you could start from a place where, like, well, he should be basically Luke's age, you know, I, I think. Because Anakin, um, or, or Obi-Wan even says, you know, he he uh, he was amazed how, how strong the Force was with him when he met him, and he took, it under, he took him under his wing to train him. Um, but it feels like him being too old is something you probably would want to retain. Like, yeah, like it was too late to train him. Like, he'd already established his sort of personality and his, like, what would matter to him and his values far before Obi-Wan ever got to him. And, and that's, he, he'd already joined up, you know, in, yeah. in an attempt to do something about, uh, you know, he already had, like, gusto. Yeah. And deciding on Anakin's arc, like, I think that's a good... It's following Luke's path, you know, and getting us... Creating a story in which we're on his side for, like, literally all the way till the end. And then he makes that one decision that sends him headfirst into the dark side mm-hmm. and it's that's when instead of like murdering in in the middle of the second film like uh, people for no reason or for not for no reason but out of pure vindictive hatred he's following the right path until that key moment like in potentially if this were a trilogy this prequel trilogy that we're building like that moment where he finally compromises and does something that we don't agree with it's going to be, we're going to feel that way worse as an audience because we've been with this guy. Even if we know that the trilogy 
that already exists, that the four, five, and six, he ends up a certain way. Yeah. We're going to be hoping the whole time that he's going to do the right thing, even though we know what happens to him. And then when it happens, it's going to be the biggest heartbreak. You know, it's not the way they painted it in the tr- in the prequel that exists, where he just from the get go he's making decisions that were like, I don't know that this is right. Well, and to Harrison's point earlier, like. You know, you don't frame the movie around that. It, it, you frame the movie around Obi Wan, so that that feels like a failure on his part, and that's right. the, you know, that's the tragedy of it. it, it it's not, you know, because you know what's going to happen. So just seeing how, and like, you know, like watching Apollo thirteen doesn't make it any less tense uh, that you know they they made it back. I mean, that's just something you know you can know going in very easily. But you know, it's just about the filmmaking and about about selling the drama of it um and and that's still be that's that's still a story that's worth telling obi-wan's because he he only hints at it in the the original trilogy he, he kind of he kind of expresses his regrets and that's all you really get um and he does things like lie to luke about it and he, he cares that much about it yeah that he lies so yes yeah. sorry i mean no go ahead i i think that uh to both of your points i think what who you really need is that anakin you Chris, like your point, like him making some compromise that sort of does send him down that path, but you also, I feel like you want to have him sort of skip across the pond, like 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 a rock across the pond, where he keeps making good decisions and bad decisions together, where he doesn't just like, not a rock off a cliff, where he just like goes down, 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 down really quickly. It's more just like, oh, I hope that doesn't come around to bite him in the ass later, and then you realize like, fuck, I, he's getting really conflicting for him, and he's actually still trying to be good, but he's starting to be pulled, like, you, what you don't want is a scene with him and, and Emperor Palpatine doing whatever they were doing in the fucking football game, or whatever, sitting in the bleachers talking about how he can reverse death, and he's just like, oh, yeah, cool, okay, I'll sell myself for that. Like, it's very clearly a watershed moment for him in a bad way, but you want things like that to just be brought to his attention casually and just have him wrestle with those decisions, knowing that they're fucking wrong and knowing that he's going to sell his soul bit by bit. And just have him slowly do that, but also still kind of be a good guy, still kind of doing good stuff, still protecting people he cares about, still kind of like you. you keep, so the point that I'm trying to get to is that you keep hoping that maybe, uh, hope against hope, even though you know it's coming, maybe he can get away with it. Maybe he can still kind of pull up at the last second and not be a, a bad guy. Like any second now, he's going to figure out what a shit he's being. He's going to turn around and be a good dude, you know? Like, And he's doing it for the right reasons, which right. is important, you know? Like uh, Luke trying to strike the, the Emperor down. Um, in, in, in Jedi is the wrong it was the wrong way to go about it uh, but it, it, he still he still would have had a you know he had a goal of, of protecting the, the alliance and um, just not, not being not doing exactly the same thing with Anakin but but seeing him do it for the right reasons but do it do the wrong thing for the right reasons is even more tragic you know and uh, one of the things I was going to bring up that you you just kind of touched on is like bit by bit you said uh, when he he sort of you see him lose it bit by bit. I also think at the same time he's losing parts of himself in these battles, and being those are being placed bit his by hand bit into his arm, and, yeah. and it's sort of visually being reflected rather than him just falling into a volcano. Yeah, losing his arm and leg and all, all in one go. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 like dumb. Like even the line in, uh, that Obi Wan says is like he he's even more machine now than man. Yeah. Which is like it's you could still interpret that as like there was one thing that made him more machine now than man, but like. It sounds very much the way Al Guinness reads that line, like he saw it happen over a long period of time, and now the the man that he knew is no longer in there. It's it's mostly a machine. Well, what's really weird to me too, and it's been touched on in the Plinkett reviews, and I think it's obvious on the surface in the prequels is there's a clear Christ um, trajectory for Anakin's character, and. What happens? It, what is an interesting idea is that we don't have to necessarily go with. But if you're told at like a young age that you're going to bring battles to the force, or this that there's like a prophecy, or some sort of belief is riding on you, like instead of the way that it goes about in the prequel, where he just I just want all power. The right way to do that, and I think the interesting way to do that is to be told that and not be able to deal with it as you know what I mean like yeah. and 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 to keep mounting responsibilities on your shoulders where you you literally are the last one who has to make certain decisions or everybody is looking at you to make decisions and often no decisions are right you know like we, we, there is a there's a, a 
a danger of getting too much into that gray area too quickly. But that there could be an interesting idea there where, you know, that, that's kind of played out in the Bible. I think it's in Dog Kevin Smith's Dogma. <laughs> like, there's a, there's a line where he says, like, there's no story from Jesus about Jesus from the age of like six to 18 or something. Cause the whole time he was wrestling with how to deal with this realization. You know what I mean? Like that's from a character standpoint, being told that and then having to compromise and be the one who makes decisions and not being able to make the best decisions and, and lead people or everybody into success every time is going to weigh on you character wise. Well, I think, you know, you don't need the prophecy for that though. I feel like the prophecy is, you know, it, it feels superfluous to the story to me. I think you could get just him being great at being, he's just an awesome fucking Jedi, which he was. Yeah. And that, like, just being awesome at it means that he's taking on more responsibility and feeling that weight of being awesome. Um, more people are looking at him to lead. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, uh, but he has self-doubts. Um, and that's going to lead to him, you know, feeling the pressure is good, I think, and, and that leading to him making some poor choices uh, in the, in the you know, in the interest of, of kind of uh, keeping up that image yeah. would be interesting for sure. I, I think that's very true. I think that we don't need the prophecy, but that's, the, and I think you even boiled it down better that that's the interesting part of that coin. It's not the, you're the greatest, you know what I mean? That's not what's interesting about that. It's, it's, it's the ramifications of that and how that, how that develops is subject to change. But that's the thing that, that changes the character. Well, changes. And it mirrors Luke, too, which you want, I think. You know, like Luke, Luke is the opposite side of that, where he's not sure uh, if he's good enough, you know. Uh, he, he doesn't believe in himself, and he has to learn to do that. Whereas, you know, Anakin can believe in himself too much, uh, and then, 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 you know, one failure means the, the world. Yeah. He's, especially if you do paint him as the Han and he's got like more luck on his side than Luke and he's got the charm and he's got a different, he's got different kinds of strengths than Luke did. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that'll make it a different story too because he's a different character. That's a really good idea. Like I, I the thing that I've been thinking about while you guys have been talking is that this just sounds so similar to the original trilogy. And coming up with ways to make it feel like a unique story that isn't just like a mirror image of like father like son is that, that way of like Khan succeeds because of luck and skill and intuition and sometimes because of the really rad team he has around him um, is a really good way to go about it. But I actually wanted to really quickly I actually disagree and I think the, the prophecy is somewhat important um, because uh, I would argue that it's completely out of his hands where it's thrust upon him by a group of people who supposedly know better and like are trained and like they're, it's like a, a council of people who are known or trained in these matters and know more than him. So he just accepts this responsibility on him, not understanding what it truly means. Um, and having that be more external than him just being rad and people being like, Oh, you're just a rad Jedi. I love that idea of just, People have been waiting for someone to fulfill the prophecy. It's you, man. Like, you're like, finally, we've been waiting. It's got to be you. And he just throws his hands up and goes, I don't know what that means, but okay. And that weight that was completely unasked for, like, that was completely unearned, like, being thrust upon him from an outside source, like, society almost fails him. Like, the Jedi society sort of, like, puts him in this position where he has no choice but to be the best. And any to, 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 to agree with the other points you're making, like, any mistake that he makes is going to feel like a thousand mistakes on his shoulder because anytime he disappoints the people that he's supposed to be there, like, like impressing all the time, he has to be perfect all the time. I think that's really interesting for him to just wrestle with constantly. But I don't think, I don't think, I, I don't think you need the prophecy for that is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I feel like, um, that way we get to see the, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. I think the, the prophecy, uh, the problem I have with the prophecy is that it feels like it takes the Jedi from being the sort of hippie religion that it kind of was initially, where it's like everything is one and the universe is, is all things. And if you just believe in the world and the cosmos, uh, you know, you can use its powers to your unlimited potential and moves it straight into a, a religious. Um, the, I mean, the Christ analogy is a good one in that, you know, it. I think it just kind of takes away from what. It was interesting about the Force to begin with. Well, that, and I think from a story perspective, like, 
since you said what you said about the prophecy and not needing it, like I think that's true because it's if you're spelled out, if the prophecy is spelled out for you at the front of the story, then you know what to expect in a certain way. But if if it, by experience and experience of Anakin's and feeling it with him and starting to get that sense through the other characters' perceptions of him, you're going to better relate to him because you're realizing it with him as he realizes it and it starts to mount as that happens. So like from a storytelling perspective, well, I'm sorry, guys. the stakes will just get higher and higher the more that he succeeds. Do you know what I mean? Like if it just spelled out of your front, it's not going to necessarily be, have the same weight as this, if it, if it, if it goes, if, if it mounts incrementally as the story goes on. Well, I think you could have that. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I, I think we're all in the same serious like the same circle but like i think you could have it be revealed later where everyone's like oh shit this guy's rad and it's just like oh it's a lot of side eye from like oh interesting raised eyebrows and then at some point he's like why is everyone treating me like this and he's like let me lay it on the line for you this is what we think is going on with you like late like during his during his like you know time as a padawan and they're like holy shit this guy's really really good maybe he's that guy um but yeah i mean i think we're all talking about a very similar but, i mean i would say that you like having obi-wan's Personal, like personally pushing him more, gets more more to him to his character. That's too. true. You know, I just it's like uh, Obi Wan, Obi Wan's own failings as a Jedi. Like it's almost like he takes on like a father man. Don't make the mistakes or, I made. Like, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels like you know, like a coach who's past his prime or never quite made it, but he's he knows everything inside and out. Trying to like put so much pressure on this like Olympic athlete to you know by pushing him too far. Hmm. Uh, That's it true. Be a really That's a good point. Way. I mean, I feel like you just get more because because it also you know what also does it takes away from Anakin's eventual redemption for me because it was always faded mm. versus it being something he did on his own. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, that's I, fair. That's actually a really really strong point. Yeah, and I think the only the, the only thing I think you could do to make a prophecy somewhat interesting if the whole time Anakin was like fuck you that's not me you know what I mean like mm-hmm. if he's going against it actively actively trying to defy the prophecy which wouldn't be interesting but at least then there's some sort of agency to his character do you know what I mean mm-hmm. um that word <laughs> got us work off you know? but I think it's a character agency is a big thing that they taught us in in school for screenwriting and like and who the character is. Creating the char- character is what drives the story. Do you know what I mean? So if he's somebody who doesn't want responsibility, but he's being shouldered it the whole time, right? and it, and doesn't want it and doesn't know how to handle it, but people are telling him he needs to take it, that could lead to his undoing too, you know? But I think, I think we're all on the same page as to where he should go and what builds him, but... So, uh... So, Padme. Ben. Yeah, ben we need, yeah, we need to dissect this topic for sure. I literally want to cut every single thing out of the story outside of Obi Wan and Anakin. Were, you don't no, think there's room no. for a love because story? Because we need we need a woman. Yeah, but I want to rename her. Well, Smoot not bad. or something. Uh, Smoot. I think <laughs> you're focusing on the wrong part of it. <laughs> I just want to like, I want to I want to wipe the slate clean weirdly. But this well, is well, I I just call her Padme because that's you know what she's called and uh, it's it's you know it's. One of the things George Lucas didn't lose was his ability to name Star Wars characters. I mean, he definitely all the characters in the Star Wars trilogy—they have the most Star Warsy names uh, imaginable, uh, except for Jar Jar Binks, which is weird, which is probably very telling to me. It doesn't feel like it belongs, but like uh, Watto and uh, you know, I, I don't know what Sebulba. Sebulba—that's fucking Rito, great name. Yeah. Sebulba is such a good name. Um, Don't remember what he who he was, but the name is good. It's that little guy that looks like I'm a little, just kidding. Uh, yeah, is yeah, a dog, a dog racing guy. But yeah, um, you know, I, I think I think there should be a romance, and it's sort of important to the overall story. I don't know why she needs to be from a whole different planet than Alderaan. That feels real weird to me. But it, I don't know, because do you really have to go back to the same two planets over and over again? Like, well, you if, if you don't, then don't make them the same fucking thing with a different name. Like, that, that I think that Sean's point is Naboo is the cosmopolitan, like, m- metropolis of Alderaan. It's just got a different designer. You know what I mean? It's the same thing, so why not make it the same thing we already know? It just feels like... I mean, not to say we shouldn't go to new places. I totally think that that's, that's part of it. But we, it's already sort of endemic to the story that 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 planet is important to not only the Republic but to 
uh, in some way you would need to see, like, I don't have a problem with Bail Organa, who is sort of Leia's adopted father being part of the, the story. Like, that feels like he should be part of the story. Um, so you can see why... More so, probably. Why, why Obi-Wan would have entrusted him to take care of one of, you know, Anakin's kids. I think also, you know, to, to contradict myself and to agree with you, that getting to see that planet firsthand yeah. would make the, the eventual destruction of it probably hit a lot more too is just seeing how beautiful it was and seeing how idyllic and what a model for the Republic or whatever and, and you know seeing the actual human beings living on that planet because you only ever see Princess Leia and that's the only you know, connection you had to that planet and you see Coruscant a lot in a the, lot which is like it's a cool idea it's the only planet that has a big city on it apparently in the, but the whole yeah the whole planet is a city okay cool um, but that's a boring location to go back to especially since it's like not well designed in my it's opinion just New like York. it just looks like <laughs> just all the buildings look the fucking same yeah like it, it doesn't have any personality it's it just, looks like the forges of solitude like it's kind of got that same like every crystal never yeah. mind cut this part wow. out wow <laughs> just it looks like it was procedurally designed instead of something that grew over you have a, a fucking planet city that thing has been around for ages yeah and everything looks shiny and fucking beautiful, uh, and yeah, it, it, it's just spotless. it doesn't feel like like there's no way a planet city is that spotless. It's, we never actually saw the ground, to be fair. Like we've never gone to like the Blade Runner low level like shitty actual true. ground, right? So maybe it's rad. Like maybe this really cool design down there, we've never seen it. The, pan, the camera pans down and it's rad down. But there. that's what the interesting part of the city is to me. Like yeah. what, that's where that's where it feels like our characters should be existing in that in that you know. Moss Eisley spaceport part of this, the city. And that's what really made, I think that's what made Star Wars so accessible to so many people was like that exact kind of thing you're talking about. It's like every, sci-fi was kind of confined to this like, these are the Vulcans and these are the people, you know what I mean? Like it was so, everything was so like painted with such a wide Brushed. I don't. That's not the wide brush. Yeah, wide brush. Very wide brush. Yeah, just <laughs> but, a roller, actually. I would say. <laughs> but it it did bring that level of like grit and like just like realism and dirt and grime and and, and, and lack of uniformity. It, and, it felt well, real. And, yeah, it felt lived in, and it felt like the people there had lives. Yeah, like that's the. Th- I mean, lived in is a kind of a, a pretty well used uh, way of describing the Star Wars universe. But it was newish when it came out, and like. Things had like dirt on them, and they broke down, and they weren't. It's a Millennium Falcon, right? Like it's yeah. it's just bolted together, and it's not great. It's yeah, just kind of a bucket of bolts. Like like it looks fucking rad, but when Luke sees it, he he says, um, it's a "Piece of junk, piece of junk." Yeah. And it's like that's such a great like touch. Yeah, just that like they're they're flying around the universe, and this thing held together by duct tape, uh, literally is probably you know actual duct tape, space duct tape. Um, that's a brand new. You know, it's constantly breaking that. down. There was hitting it to get it to do things, and like it's it's a thread throughout the all three movies, yeah. and it becomes its own character, space, and character. Yeah. So I, I we diverged a little bit from the topic of Padme, which yeah, is partially yeah, my fault. But I, let, let's circle back because I think you had some interesting topics you wanted to touch there. Well, you know, one of the great things about Leia uh, is that as soon as like she's she's pretty helpless for a while, but that makes sense. You know, and then as soon as they break her out, she's like, "How the fuck do I get out of here?" And starts trying to take control, and then does that a lot throughout the trilogy. I mean, that's her personality, and she's very, um, you know, very capable, and that's unique. Um, she's she called a, a princess, and certainly doesn't act like one. Yeah, yeah, and that's great. I mean, that's something that I think, um, especially in Empire, is just extremely appealing about her. And she sort of is putting her duty above her personal feelings a lot. And, um, you know, I, I think in that vein, you probably want a character who's not... Uh, I mean, it's really hard to think of someone, like, without retreading Leia, who has similar qualities. But, like, it's also she's her daughter, so she needs to... I think her personality would need to be somewhat reflected in well, I, I keep thinking, I was, it might be wrong, but for some reason I'm thinking about the opposite. Like somebody who's like a, like a Vanekin's like a middle class, like frat boy or something. You know, he's like not rich or maybe he is, I don't know. We haven't talked about who he is before the story starts, but if she's like the low level, she's the one who doesn't need much and she keeps pulling Anakin away from the pedestal a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like something like that where she's like from a lower class 
place. She's not this cycle. And, and, and she's like kind of informs him by like, she doesn't have the strict rules and regulations that maybe he has had to adhere to in like the Jedi or something. This, this might, might be not the direction we want to take her in, but somebody who's just kind of like pulling him in a different direction. Do you know what I mean? Where like, well, I can see if if we go with the idea that his head is swelling all the time, that she's the person who keeps like she she talks straight to him. Yeah, uh, that's going to be super appealing to him because nobody does that, you know. And that I feel like that that could be really. She's kind of like Aladdin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, what? Like, <laughs> no, like, no, I want to hear this one like, played by Scott Weiner or whatever his name is. Just kind of like that's kind of quote unquote street rat with a morality. If that makes sense, she's the thief. Well, honestly, I was thinking about her being a smuggler, like on Solo. That's what I mean, like something like that, yeah. where she's kind of a scoundrel, but she's got a really strict, That'd be awesome. strict morality and code of ethics that she adheres to. That grounds Anakin. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So there's lines she. Maybe she's a bad influence. So bad influence. That's cool. I like that. Not well, all the time, but like, but like, what I would want to say about that is the problem that I have with the trilogy is it, it depending on how you read it, it can come off very much like. Like uh, Eve, you know, with the poison apple, a lot of like, like tempting yeah, exactly, man. Yeah. I like, like bringing man low from her like feminine wiles. You know, like yeah. he was such a good man, so he fell in love, and it really fucked him up. <laughs> yeah, and that shit I, yeah. sucks. So, but I do. So, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, like I do like that idea of it's fucking weird that the Jedi can't have normal human emotions and all that stuff's really interesting too. But not mapping that term, like a woman being this man's down, it can't be her fault, you know. And and I think that like I agree, I fully agree that it's it's easy to fall into the trap of her just being the woman who fucks things up for the men. Like that's not what we want at all, right? So what the way I would spin that, and you can tell me if this is shitty or not, but the way I would spin that is, Anakin is fucking indoctrinated in the Jedi way, and she's just like very questioning, and she's very like. Uh, don't just believe everything you hear just because your your master says it. Like, maybe you should question it. That seems fucking weird to me that you would do X, Y, Z. And he's like, huh, maybe I should question. And then maybe he goes back to Obi-Wan and says, like, I don't know, it seems like a weird thing that we're doing this thing without, we got some orders and we're following them and not really questioning them from our uppers, you know? And so it's less of the love thing. And she just, like, prods him to question. Because if she is sort of a, a, sort of a smuggler or a street rat or someone that's just gotten by in her, like, wiles, that she's so used to not trusting anyone and like second, second guessing everything and living by instinct that she would bring that to him and that would actually be good for him. But in the like structure of the Jedi Order, which is very like ordered and like you do what you're told. I, I mean, I, just removing the order from it, uh, or not or removing it entirely, but just having it be that she, you know, like they they disobey orders uh, from like the general Kenobi. You know, because he's called a general, right? Uh, and, and get shit done. Um, not, not that you know, it's not a bad thing that they, they go do it. They they actually succeed, and you know, they, they do some amazing shit um, by kind of going rogue. But it's not, it's not whispering in his ear. It's just right. one of those things that they collectively decide is better move. It, it, like, it, it almost sounds like if Anakin is Luke. And Obi Wan's the Obi Wan that she's kind of the Han. Do you know yeah, she's completely. also a love interest. Like she's she shows him a different way of doing things that isn't what Obi Wan's always advocating. And sometimes it works. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it's not. It allows him to maneuver things in a better way than perhaps if he would have stayed on it. Obi Wan's bad, but she she that but that's something I was thinking about in the prequels now, like. Can you name one interaction between Obi-Wan and Padme in the fucking prequels? Do you know what I mean? It's like, they're always on the same side. It's like, there's nobody pulling an Anakin in different directions outside of Palpatine when he steps in literally in the shadows. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so, having two people that he loves and two people that he cares about pulling him in different directions who also sometimes align will really blur the correct course for him. Do you know what I mean? So, like... That's very human, well, too. You know? Yeah. And I, but I think that, you know, like, you, you it's... It, like, again, I think towing the line between her doing that like I can see a version of the, of, of the film where she uh, they both they both learn different lessons from each other so like she at one point agrees with Obi-Wan about something that should be done Anakin disagrees mm. and that's a flip for her as well as him you know where it's like before he would have always gone with what Anakin said and, and they collectively did something at one point and kind of you know managed it but like now like dude, you're not, this isn't the right move. And then he goes and, uh, it does that thing and gets horribly injured. 
or something, you know, without her support. And then they all feel guilty about it because, you know, they were all right and wrong at the same time. Like, it just gets a little bit more um, uh, messy, but, but in a good way to me to, you know, because otherwise, like, I don't want it to be solely about Anakin, right? Like, it needs to be about her, too. It needs to be about Obi-Wan, too. Because um, otherwise, it's... I, so, I... And I think that's what they tried to do a little bit with him in the second movie, with Hayden Christensen, is, like, make him reckless and wild and not right. adhering to the orders of the way that they, things have traditionally always been done and not listening... Like, not waiting to hear back from the general about what the next move is. He just jumps out a window and, like, right. plummets, you know, all these stories to catch a assassin and that being a part of who he is but then that's sort of brought to the surface by Padme and like saying like no that's okay sometimes you just have to fucking act and not wait for your superiors to tell you what to do and that she doesn't act- tell him that I think well I like think I think she, she does they learn it, it together yeah and he learns yeah. it like so so the way that you would do that is he's waiting for orders to, for, to save something or to move on something and she just jumps over the fucking cliff and runs down the, the mountain and saves some people and it ends up fine and they're like fucking they reprimand her or him or whatever and she's like I saved a bunch of people like fuck you and it's like yeah that seems like the right actually the right move if we'd waited they would all have been killed or something exactly uh, yeah so he learns he learns by example by her example but they touch on that in, in the actual in the second prequel movie in the Attack of the Clones but it just comes out of fucking nowhere because it just it's just attributed to him being a rowdy teenager yeah well it's it's all of it, all of it is about his lust for her. It yeah. feels like it's like it's such a it's creep. all driven. He's by a complete that. creep. Yeah. yeah, it's like I just want to be with her, so let me, let me impress her, and he just does like horrible things to yeah. impress her. He like I can't believe he doesn't just flex in front of her. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is that she's put his lightsaber here. Yeah, see how big my lightsaber is. Yeah. Look, I can change the color. <laughs> uh, gross. Uh, I, well, it's funny that she's not completely turned off by this. Like. Any of the scenes together where they're talking, and she's like, "Ah, oh, I had a really had a great time on the beach." He's like, I "Fucking hate sand." She'd be like, "Cool, you suck. When can I leave?" Like any <laughs> normal human being would want to get away from that man as fast as possible. Yeah. But somehow, like <laughs> something about him is so like alluring to her that I cannot understand. There's a great scene where he does. He says that that sand comment to her, and she just looks at him and goes, "What the." Yeah, yeah. Just walks away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worst thing I've ever it's heard. Fucking stupid. Yeah. And he's just <laughs> stupid. Don't talk stupid. Like stupid Anakin. God, I'm so stupid. Like he just <laughs> he just fell Seymour Hoffman in Boogie Nights. Yeah. Slapping himself. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> but what, but what would be cool? Like because but because we have Obi Wan Obi Wan and he is kind of we're kind of playing him a different in the thing in the prequels and that we've all kind of talked about it. Like he's still a little flawed and he's maybe a little too by the book potentially. Um, so if you did have a scene like where you know they're they're on the run from something, and then Obi Wan's like, "We'll go this way. This is the way that, you know the Republic tells us to go." And then she's like, "Fuck that! This is the way easier way to go." And we're definitely I know I know where we are, so I'm gonna lose our tail. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then like and she just does it and gets them out of something and like shows Anakin that there's a different way of doing things yeah. and saves them all. Do you know like that kind of thing where she just provides him a different path and shows him there's a different way of thinking a different way of being you don't have to necessarily stay on a certain path and listen to what Obi-Wan says all the time if that makes sense and like but yeah but she does it she does it by active just being herself yeah I think this is before they ever got together she's just literally doing that kind of thing and then he sees it by her doing it and then he becomes drawn to her and then becomes compelled to show her a few surprises in which case they start to develop a romantic relationship if that makes sense yeah, it feels much more balanced. They that come way. to respect each other. Yeah, you know what I mean. And again, it's it's very like Han and Leia do the same thing more or less. Where you know she doesn't like they they kind of have different uh, ethos in terms of like how to go about things. Uh, but they both have the same end, and they both sort of realize that there are value. There's value to each other's. You know, I mean, we might map a little too closely. Uh, if we if we did that too much, but like at the same time, it's like really compelling, and that's why the, the that movie is the best one, Empire. But but also, I think the addition of um, well, like I think the thing that would make different was we that Obi Wan is there, and he is the the person saying like uh, and sort of like chaperoning, like stepping between him, saying like leave room for Jesus, you know, like that guy just like doesn't want them to get too close, and offering an alternative solution to them getting like emotionally like like getting close and, and offering another solution or another way for Anakin. So yeah. continuing to offer like, hey listen, like telling you this is the way to go, like the, the Jedi Order is rad or like the way the, the way that we're doing things, a structure that 
we're doing them by, like the reason that exists. There's a reason that stuff existed because if it didn't, things would be chaos, et cetera, et cetera. Like, he actually does provide like a compelling argument to stay on the, the, the path. Yeah, but I don't want to do too much of that because like what makes Han and Luke's relationship so interesting is that sometimes Luke does something and he does the noble way and he's like, it shows Han that he was just being a fucking coward. Do you know what I mean? So like, I kind of would get that from Obi-Wan in the reverse. Some like where he sees that Anakin does something Padme's way and then he's like, fuck, that works. I was wrong. Do you know what I mean? And well, then he starts to respect. Exactly. Like Obi-Wan needs to be right too about yeah. shit. And like having, having like, having Anakin not care feels like, it, you know, it's like there's a, there's a beat in the second movie probably where he, you know, Obi-Wan was right, but Anakin won't admit it. And because you know, he's stubborn and he's prideful. So if it's an argument, don't talk for half the movie or whatever. And like, yeah, and that's has how to go between them, you know, like, like Anakin says, he's, you know, whatever, like they're like, she's like the communication between them, the two of them, you know, like the two friends. Well, she's just talking. trying to mend it and says, fuck you guys are idiots. And walks yeah, away. Yeah. Like, well, in true, in true, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, strong fashion. Like, I feel like, it, like just telling them they're being stupid and letting them, have to hash it out on their own. Yeah. I, I, so, yeah, I agree with you, Chris. I, I definitely don't think that Obi-Wan should be a negative aspect or, like, bringing it down, but I think just adding him as an element would f- make it feel different than the Leia and Han relationship from the original trilogy. Right. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. I think you definitely do want to play him as an element, but I think that you want to, by the, you know, the third movie, he's, I think you want to actually bend him into a point where he's actually invested in Anakin and Padme's relationship a little bit. Like, they're yeah. friends of his, and he's seen this relationship blossom, and there's an undeniable chemistry between them, and he's actually invested in their success a little bit, even if it does mean jeopardizing his Jedi ways. What's interesting about that is that it makes the conflict more about Obi Wan than it does about Anakin and and Padme. Like, because it it never really hit me, or I never really cared about it. Um, but Obi Wan being like the guy who has to cover for them to his bosses, or the guy that knows it's wrong and has been taught his whole life that it's wrong, but really cares about them and wants them to be happy, and like making that kind of question making that sort of him get him to question what he's learned already is really interesting. And I think that that would then add a lot of meaning to when he meets Luke and says like, all right, this time I'm going to fucking do it right. Like this time I'm going to allow a person to be a human being uh, and have emotions and feel these things. Um, and he learns all the lessons from fucking up Anakin's training and all the mistakes that he made and that are probably illuminated through like Padme's like, a, like not interference, but like involvement in the group. I think that's really interesting. Well, I think one thing that I keep thinking about in terms of, like, building the Padme-Anakin relationship is at the risk of getting a little personal, like, my fiancé and soon-to-be wife is not, like, if I would have painted a picture of, not physically, but, like, if I would have, like, defined all the things that I would have looked for, I don't know that she would have fit the criteria, per se, but she more than anybody else I've ever met, allows me to be every aspect of myself mm. and is not judge me because of it. Do you know what I mean? She's me at my, she sees me at my best, my goofiest, my worst, my saddest, and it's she totally dumbass. Yeah, like she listens to this dumbass yeah, she podcast. She listens to this fucking thing well before it's out and says that it's funny. And She's lying to you. Yeah, <laughs> totally wrong. But, but, uh, she, you know, like... What an idiot. Yeah, God. It's kind of building Padme to be the person, if we do keep any of that, like, responsibility and some of that prophecy stuff we're talking about before that that Anakin can just be himself around her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if, totally she di- if she dies in the third movie and Obi-Wan knows that that was the case and is happy that she was around and he can't fill that void yeah. despite how fucking hard he tries, that's going to make Anakin's turn really tragic because yeah. he's trying to save his best friend and mentee in an hour of need and he can't because he just that void is empty and he can't fill it. Nothing can fill it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Something like that I think would be really... Make it much more character and relationship based. Well, and then, you know, like, his, you know, they essentially try to do that with his mother uh, in the second prequel movie where he says, like, I wasn't strong enough to save her. And then he has this ridiculous, goofy thing by saying, one day I'll be powerful enough to save people from dying. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but not, but, but being somebody, like, that could be the breaking point for the stuff we were talking about earlier where his ego is so inflated um, that maybe he was brash enough to think that he could get there and couldn't and didn't and it's on him. Couldn't you know? save Padme? He couldn't. Yeah, or his he couldn't. He just... His, no, I'm not talking about his mother. Padme. I'm yeah, saying like yeah. we build Padme up over the course of the movies and then, you know, she has the kids like before 
he turns even. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Gets to I, be I, a father. I 100% to, agree yeah. that that needs you to know? be way earlier. Yeah. Me. I mean, like, that's the beginning of the third movie. Gets to be a father so much that they don't remember, like, only to the ages that they don't remember him at all. When they, well, yeah, but I mean, like, it Six months or be, whatever, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it doesn't have to be long. But He doesn't literally show up while they're being born and she dies in the child. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just like they got to the end of the movie and went, oh, fuck, we have, like, an hour more shit to do. And they just, like, crammed it into three scenes. <laughs> yeah. It was so bad. But, like, the idea that her dying is the thing that just it unravels it all. Like, he's been able to kind of keep it together, all of these things that we've been talking about, all these, like, struggles and strifes and things that he's been balancing and all the, the, the sort of, like, temptations he's been balancing and all the, all the things that he's been trying to figure out and, like, keep all inside of himself just fucking unravel when she dies. And it isn't instant. He doesn't just go and murder a bunch of eight-year-olds, like, the next day. It's more of, like, he just, he, like, the way that, uh, like a, a, um, someone that's had a tragedy in their life just can't pull it together over a period of time. But he waits a week and then he murders a bunch of eight. Yeah, <laughs> but like he has a, two kids now that he's a single father and some like you know what I mean. Like there's a lot of interesting, sad. Like I don't know how sad well, he moves to be, but like there, there's a lot of just struggle that he has to now take on with himself. But not not being fit to be a parent, uh, and that and and them deciding to hide him, to hide the kids from him feels like a that's really tragic and sad yeah uh that's a hard decision for obi-wan to make you know that's really cool like yeah. it just it it feels like there's so much more more there and like we haven't even talked about the emperor there's so much more we could do a second one on this yeah, think, we should. Uh, but like there's like we haven't talked about how the emperor's influence is is there but you know starting to see that like that he meets him that maybe he's the head of the you know the galactic like he just takes power too far he's like a trump kind of guy yeah you know um but like, see, I just don't care about the emperor. I don't care about him either, but I do think he needs. He's to a be good catalyst. There. He's a great catalyst. But what I will say, I mean, he needs to be in the story for sure. He's like the Hitler of uh, the space Nazi empire. But one of the things that I do think this movie ends uh, without him in the Darth Vader suit. You know, like yeah, definitely. Yeah. He's not in the Darth Vader suit at the end of this movie because there's a whole fucking long period of time between the end of the third movie. And the start of the, the Star Wars trilogy, the original Star Wars trilogy, that's where he became Darth Vader. There are hints of it. He's lost a lot of body parts. He maybe he's on a respirator at the end of the, the, the third movie, but he's not Vader. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's not in the armor yet. Like that feels like it came. No executive would ever let you make that movie, though. I want you, oh, let's just let's I, just say that we're we're talking about a good movie. No executive will ever make as as the news about Phil Miller and Chris Lord being taken off of God, the Han Solo movie. Did they really? I didn't hear that. Oh Sorry. yeah. Uh, well, I'm not seeing anymore. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it had, it had very little chance of being good, and now it has no chance of being good. So, way to go, Disney. You ruined Star Wars. Uh, no, fuck it. They did. They ruined it well before that. Okay, so please make your point. <laughs> My point is um, that. I forgot what I was saying. Respirator, he's not Darth Vader. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's just not Darth Vader. I mean, we see hints that he's going to be Darth Vader, but it ends at a, at a place where he's, he's. He's Darth Vader in. Character. Can but. we can we at least get James Earl Jones to do some lines? <laughs> he's gonna have a respirator. Can we at least get the? That, come on. It's yeah, just yeah. it's just a, it's just a, like a comical scene over the credits where he's testing out uh, different uh, voices. And we yeah, just he's get got the, like a whole bunch of celebrities yeah. to come in. One of, one of them's like really high pitched. <laughs> it's, just, it's just Bob Cat yeah. Goldthwait. Yeah, he's just trying different like. And then he's like, "That's the one," you know. At the end, <laughs> just Jerry Lewis, just a bunch of different weird shit. Donald Duck. Yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> That's what I'm just not feeling it. I no, don't but know. It's, it's like if, if ugh, God, never mind. We should we should have talked about uh, for the for the next hour is uh, the Disney what Disney would do with it now. I think actually, I think we could do another podcast on this because I think there's a ton more to talk about. Yeah, we barely scratched the surface. This, I mean, there's the Emperor. There's the sort of Galactic Senate stuff that is not just excise. <laughs> yeah, well, for the most part, but just like the idea of falling to to space Hitler, like that process being interesting world building, even if it's happening in the background, like yeah. a larger world thing that then motivates smaller character stories. One really person who's there needs to like like Jimmy Schmitz is in the Senate. And we come across him all the time and know he's a senator, but at no point did we go to the Senate floor and watch the C-SPAN shit happen. <laughs> can, we th- can we still throw the chairs at each other? <laughs> <laughs> it's just Geraldo. Watch somebody like, filibuster the fucking yeah, exactly. galactic Senate. But, like, I, I, I feel like you, you, do, you do hear that... Because, um, like, the, fir- the first movie starts... The other, the other thing is, the first... Uh, Star Wars starts with a line of dialogue... Like the Senate will not dist- uh, sit still for this, and then, like it's still there. And then he says, "Like no, it's gone now." 
basically. Vader's like, eh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not a thing now. That just happened. Yeah. It was 20 years it took. Or however long, you know? But in the original movie, they're like, they like rip it apart. Uh, in, the, in the prequel trilogy, they rip it apart and, like, yeah, they fight in it. Like, yeah, they're bouncing around and fucking Sidious is... We need to talk about that shit, too, by the way. <laughs> Just, I don't want any of it. Yoda's not in this fucking movie. No, okay, so we'll, we should save this for part two, for sure, because I think that's a really good thing. But, like, the insistence on lightsaber action and the, like, doubling down on, like, what if it was four lightsabers? What if it was two, what if it was two lightsabers stuck together, but, like, four of them? Like, yeah. that, like... <laughs> you can't even hold it. Well, he's got, like, six robot arms. He takes, like, he takes his, like, cloak off, and it's just, like, and he unfolds two other arms, and he's got, all of them have lightsabers? Like, yeah. He throws a you throw a grenade, and it just shoots <laughs> lightsabers. <Yeah. laughs> it's like confetti just flying all over the place. People are running on the ground like it's, like, it's fucking, uh, pinata candy trying to pick them up. Um. That's what it's gonna be. That's, that's where it's going. Again. Yeah, I for sure. Like. The, uh, the sad part is people keep fucking paying for it, but. Including us. Not, not now. I'm not, not, after Rogue One, I'm not seeing another Star Wars movie in theaters until I get like three that I like in a row. Yeah. Oh, do you want a trilogy is what you're saying? No, I'm, saying, <laughs> like, I'm not paying money to see them anymore. Well, I watch them out of curiosity, but. Well, you're going to be blacklisted after this podcast, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I would. I. <laughs> The idea of working on a big budget Hollywood movie these days is like torturous sounding, which sounds like the worst. Anyway, Harrison's giving the wrap up sign, so we should probably wrap up. It was just a middle finger. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you spinning it around? I, I guess I was like defending, accidentally defending making a big budget Hollywood movie because I was flipping you off when you were saying that, but fair. We should save this for part two. Part two coming in sometime later. Three years from now, like the original trilogy. <laughs> 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 Alright, thanks for joining us. Please join us next time when we take the indie game Papers, Please and turn it into an episodic TV show. Story is Sean Ainsworth, Chris Reverend, and Harrison Pink. And our music, as always, is by the amazing Jared Emerson Johnson. Thank you for listening.